Thank you, Patrick, for the kind words of welcome. Good morning, everyone. Always a joy to come to Castlebury Fellowship. As uh, Patrick has said, it seems this time of year, maybe it's the time for old people coming, <coughs> coming along. And uh, just always remembering this time of year and praying that the Lord would give to us the right word for the occasion. The right word reminds me of a Japanese prime minister who had to visit the White House. Uh, the only thing is he didn't speak any English. Uh, so they had to teach him a little bit of English for meeting President Obama. So they taught him to say, when you meet the president, he'll put out his hands and you will say to him, how are you? Just three words. So he learned them. How are you? How are you? And they said, the president will say, I'm fine, and you? And you'll say, me too, me too. Just those, those five words. How are you? Me too. How are you? Well, even presidents get a little bit uh, tongue-tied and embarrassed, nervous. And when the prime minister arrived at the White House and met President Obama in the Oval Office, he uh, put out his hand and instead of saying, how are you? He said, who are you? The president was a little bit embarrassed and uh, he turned and he said, I'm, I'm Michelle's husband. Uh, to which the Prime Minister said, me too. Me. <laughs> so we pray the Lord will give to us the right word. And we're reading the word from Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And we'll begin our reading at verse 6. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same, shepherd, in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came on upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. And then to supplement that reading over to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. And we're reading at verse 7. None of us, for none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, 
Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. And may the Lord bless to us the reading of his sacred word. Among the many other things that we have in common is the name that we bear. Uh, you may like your name, you may not like your name. Uh, uh, I got my name from my father who had exactly the same name as I have, Victor Francis Maxwell. He got his name from his father, my grandfather, when my dad was born at the end of the First World War and to commemorate the occasion on which my grandfather had been a soldier, he called his son Victor for victory, Francis because the armistice was signed in France, and Maxwell, Victor Francis. I am forever grateful that the armistice was not signed in Czechoslovakia, <laughs> or I would have a very difficult second name. I say that this morning, you may have multiple names, but when we come to our blessed Lord Jesus, how many names did Jesus have? Just in the New Testament, it is reckoned that there are some 42 different names given to the Lord Jesus. Every one of them laden with meaning, glistening with, with blessed truth. As a matter of fact, I remember some time ago doing a study in John 1, and I think in John chapter 1, there are some 18 different names given to the Lord Jesus Christ. However, I'm focusing this morning on those words spoken by the angel, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, or which is Christ the Lord. Especially that last word, the Lord. It is amazing that in that verse it reminds us that Jesus Christ is Savior. That's the purpose for which he came. He came into the world to save sinners such as we are. But he is Lord. In the New Testament, some 24 times, it reminds us that Jesus is Savior. But over 600 times, it indicates that Jesus Christ is Lord. We sing it at Christmas. We were singing it this morning. Who is he in yonder stall at whose feet the shepherds fall? Tis the Lord, the King of glory. We sing it at Easter time. Christ the Lord is risen today. As a matter of fact, we love to sing the little chorus. He is Lord, he is Lord. We bow before him and call him our Lord, my Lord, what a wonderful thing. However, for us in this 21st century, it may be relatively easy to call him Lord and to sing that he is Lord, but not so for the first century saints. You see, they lived in a hostile society. Rome was looked upon as the eternal city, and Caesar, he had absolute power. As a matter of fact, absolute power because of his almightiness, uh, he deified himself and he was known as Lord, the Lord Caesar. And it was required of every Roman citizen at every part of the empire that once a year they would go to a temple and they would dip their finger into incense and touch their brow and confess that Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Lord. 
But can I say the Lordship of Jesus Christ brought the believers of that time into conflict with the Roman Empire. They could not say that Caesar was Lord when they confessed that Jesus was their Lord. Did not the Lord Jesus say to his disciples, All power is given unto me, not to Caesar. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And Jesus Christ is Lord. And because of that creed, why Christians suffered, they were thrown to the Colosseum amongst wild animals. They were put into prison. Some were made human tortures or boiled in oil. And they suffered just because they called Jesus Christ Lord. I say that this morning because as we come to think of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, let's remember this. This is a truth that will regulate your life. Guide you every day. The Lordship of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we take a false notion and we hear it said. Oftentimes from a pulpit about making Jesus Christ Lord. That's something we cannot do. The Bible reminds us in Acts chapter 2 and verse 36. Therefore let the house of Israel know assuredly. That God has made this same Jesus both Lord and Christ. Uh, that is, my friend, we don't make him Lord. He is the Lord of heaven. He is the Lord of glory. He is the Lord of creation. He is the Lord over all. Revelation 19 verse 16 reminds us that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. The last prayer of the Bible is simply... Even so come Lord Jesus, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. However, while it is true that God has made him Lord in Christ, and he is the Lord, sometimes in our practical realization, living every day, it takes us to come to the place where we understand the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We cannot differentiate between him being Savior and him being Lord. He is the same Christ, Savior and Lord, as the angels indicated uh, uh, that they in Bethlehem. It was born unto you this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. However, our understanding of that may be a little different. I was converted back in October 1956 as a boy of 16, and you've done your mathematics already now, but uh, uh, October uh, 1956. I, I rejoice in God's salvation. I sometimes quote the hymn, O happy day that fixed my choice on thee, my Savior and my God. Well may this glowing heart rejoice to tell its raptures all abroad. I didn't know that most of my life would be taken up by telling the raptures of the Lord. However, as a Christian and rejoicing in the Lord, I, I had a, an experience where I came to understand the Lordship of Christ in my life. With a group of young people, 1958, we had gone up the north coast, up Torhead. We got to Portrush. There were nine of us, fellas and girls, and we all went for a swim in the Blue Pool. I think they call it the blue pool up there because that's the colour you turn when you get into the Atlantic waters on the north coast. And, and so we were jumping and diving. But amongst us was a Jamaican girl who couldn't swim and she was 
sitting at the side of the water. It was high tide. And she was, Dorothy was sitting at the side of the water. And one of our group said, Victor, would you take Dorothy across the pool? Well, I didn't like to say no, but uh, Dorothy, who hadn't gone blue, she was grey. She was a Jamaican girl. She was uh, shivering. However, I, I volunteered to take Dorothy across the pool. And I thought we were doing quite well as I held onto her shoulders and taking her. But suddenly Dorothy, Dorothy panicked. And when she panicked, she grabbed me around the throat, and before I knew it, we went down under. Not once, but twice, and they rescued Dorothy, and I went down the third time. I thought my life was over, 18 years of age, and uh, very soon, uh, someone came below me and pushed me up onto the rocks, uh, away from the shore. I said it was high tide, a crowd had gathered on the, the rocks, they threw a, a life belt out to me, and... And they, they pulled me ashore, and Dr. Love of the Victoria Hall happened to be there. And he gave me artificial respiration. I still remember as he pumped onto my lungs, onto my rib cage. I, I think I'm about, about half of the Atlantic Ocean. The blue bell of the ambulance was there and rushed me off to hospital. I was in Coleraine Hospital for three days. But during those three days, God spoke to my life, spoke to my heart. And Victor, your life was almost over. Remember what you've read in the book of Ephesians? We are to redeem the time. We are not to be foolish, but wise, understanding what the will of God is. And those words challenged me on that hospital bed. And to the Lord, my Savior, I've been converted two years. I surrendered everything to him, whatever, wherever I'd be prepared to follow the Lord and subsequent to that God called us to be missionaries and we had the joy of serving the Lord but it was bringing everything onto the Lordship of Jesus Christ. When we go back to those Romans who had to confess that Caesar was Lord it reminds us that when we read the book of Romans it takes a new meaning on when the Apostle Paul, who mentioned the Lordship of Christ more than 50 times in the book of Romans. <clears throat> but it takes new meaning when it says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Not Caesar, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And in that context, the Apostle Paul at the beginning of that letter, speaking of the Lordship of Christ, he said that I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. So much as in me is that I am ready to preach the gospel to the Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He, he was absolutely committed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I say to you this morning, as Christians saved by the grace of God, He is your Savior, my friend. I trust you recognize He is your Lord. We are debtors to Him. I say that this morning because as we come to this portion of scripture in Romans chapter 14, uh, listen again to this verse. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. The Apostle Paul in the context was here. He was speaking of problems that were in the church. My friend, I say this morning if we could understand the lordship of Jesus Christ. The church is his. He is the Lord of heaven. It would regulate the affairs of the church. It would govern our daily lives. 
It would help us in our relationships because we are the Lord's. I bring this verse to you this morning in a very simple way. To see this, listen again to what it says. For to this end, for this purpose, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. I say this to you this morning, that Jesus Christ, upon the cross, he died to purchase you, that he might be your Lord. That's what it's telling. For this purpose, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord. That's why this morning, when we speak of Calvary, we speak of redemption. The word redemption, remember what it says in Ephesians 1, 7, speaking of Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. Or 1 Peter chapter 1, that we are redeemed, not with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus from the vain traditions of your fathers, we've been redeemed. The word redeemed was a commercial term. It was, my friend, to go to the market and to buy something back. It's illustrated in the book of Hosea. Hosea not only brought the Lord's message, he lived the Lord's message. His life was, a, was an example of God's message to Israel. Israel had pled the harlot, had turned their back on God and had gone away from God. Hosea married a harlot. His wife became unfaithful to him. And she went and sold her body in the streets of Jerusalem. It broke the heart of Hosea, who loved his wife. And having, having turned her back on him and went to the, the, the streets, white, Hosea went after her because he loved her. And when he got to the marketplace there, his wife Gomer was for sale. Do you know what he did? He not only had married her, she belonged to him the first time in marriage. He bought her back. He paid the price. He redeemed her. And my friend, dare I say it this morning, that when Jesus Christ upon the cross bore our sin on his own body on the tree, he not only bore the guilt of our sin, my friend, he paid the price. We sing it. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. And the scripture reminds us, listen to the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 22, 21, when it says, Know ye not that you are not your own? You have been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And I say to all of us here this morning, we are not our own. We belong to him. Why? Because he purchased us. By his precious blood. It's a great thing to belong to Jesus. As a matter of fact, if you're not a Christian, the Bible reminds us that you belong to the devil. The Bible says, Ephesians chapter 2, that before our conversion we were sons of wrath, even as others. Uh, dominated and possessed by the spirit of this world. But now he has redeemed us. What has he done for us? He has brought us out of the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of God's dear son. And in that kingdom, he's king, he's Lord, he's all authority. 
I'm asking this morning as I ask myself, is he your Lord? Do, do you recognize that your body is his temple? That the life he has given to you, my friend, is the life that was purchased at a place called Calvary. And I say again this morning that on the cross, Jesus Christ died. He purchased us with his blood. And therefore, like the Apostle Paul, we say, we are a debtor. Debtor. Not only to the unsaved around us, and not only to the fellowship to which we belong, but we are debtor to our blessed Lord in heaven. As a matter of fact, if you look at verse 8, it says this word, whether we live, we die, whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord, and whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. You're not your own. We've been bought with a price. He, he died to purchase us as our Lord. But not only so, listen again to what the verse says. He, verse 9, for to this end Christ both died and rose. Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Christ died to purchase us. Listen, Jesus rose to possess us. To possess us. Christ rose again from the dead and the life, this new life that we enjoy is resurrection life. The Bible calls it eternal life. The scriptures remind us in the book of, the, uh, the book of Colossians that it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. The Apostle John reminds us that we are possessed with the divine life. The divine life. My friends, salvation, this eternal life, is simply the life of God within our hearts. Isn't that amazing? This eternal life that we have received in Christ, it's not speaking of the length of life, it is speaking of Christ's life in us. And that's the same life that we will enjoy throughout the whole of eternity. Remember what it says in Romans, or John chapter 3, verse 36. He who hath the Son hath life. Which life? His life. It's the life of God within our soul. And that's what binds us together this morning. That's what gives us fellowship this morning. It is that commonality of, of Jesus Christ in our hearts. And I see here this morning, brothers and sisters, we belong to each other. Why? Because... Jesus not only purchased us on the cross, he possesses us. He's in us this morning. And in us for what reason? He's in us, my friend, that he may fulfill all of his good purpose in us. When I say that Christ is alive in us, I think not only of the reason of his lordship. He purchased us that he might possess us. And he possesses us that his purpose may be fulfilled in us. That, my friend, takes in every part of our lives. Over there in Philippians chapter 2, it reminds us it is Christ in us who is both working to will and to do of his good pleasure. Isn't that amazing? 
We sometimes sing a hymn, and I love it. I can't see the will of God for this week or next week, but I can look back and say, all the way my Savior leads me. What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? Just submitting every day to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The Lordship of Jesus Christ means that he's not only resident in our hearts. It means, my friend, that he is absolute president. He's in control. We submit to his will every day. And that's a wonderful thing. Remember again, Romans chapter 12 and verse verse 1 in the context where the apostle says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, bodies that have been purchased, that you present your bodies unto God as a living sacrifice and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is that good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. The reason for the purchase, the reason for his lordship is that he purchased us. He possesses us. He's working out his purpose in us, the reasons for his lordship. Our time is nearly gone. Let me just underline something about the realm of his lordship. Look what it says again in the verse, for to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Our blessed Lord Jesus, my friend, is the Lord of eternity. King of kings and Lord of lords, but he's Lord of the dead and of the living. Can I put it this way? As Lord of the living, it speaks to us of our responsibility here on earth. Our allegiance is to him. As Lord of of the dead and of death, he is Lord of accountability. The Bible reminds us in the context here that as it is written, every knee shall bow, verse 11, and every tongue shall confess to God so that every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. In our lives, my friend, we are responsible to him. Every part of our lives. For example, the Bible reminds us the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 when it comes to marriage. Paul says, I, I don't oppose that you be married, but that you marry in the Lord. Isn't that amazing? The Lord should be the Lord of our relationship in marriage. The scriptures also remind us over there in Ephesians chapter 5 that uh, we are to submit ourselves, husband and wife, submitting one to another. Wives, submit to your own husband, listen to it, in the Lord. The Lordship of Christ in the home. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. The Lordship of that relationship. Uh, Ephesians goes on to teach us as children that as children are to obey their parents. It's in the Lord. It's in that context. As a matter of fact, not only in the marriage relationship, but in the business world. Over there in Colossians chapter 3, it reminds us that we serve the Lord Christ. And therefore, in that sense, why every day, every day, not just in the church, but in every part, Someone has said, in our time and in our talents, in our treasures, would he be the one who sways lordship over all of those things? 
how we spend our time redeeming the time, how we, we, we give to God of what he has given us, or can it be the talents that God has given to us, the realm of his lordship? My friend, whatever the talents God has given to us here, we are responsible to employ them for him. Not only so, but he is Lord of eternity. This Bible reminds us again that every one of us will give an account to God of the deeds done in the body. Over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it reminds us that on that day, as we stand before in the judgment seat of Christ, the wood, hay, and stubble, the inconsequential things of life, they will be burned up. What will remain will be gold and silver and precious stones. And I say this morning, do we so live here that one day we'll be able to press gold into the nail-pierced hand of our blessed Lord? Gold or silver or precious stone, something that was done for Jesus, the realm of his lordship. Reason for his lordship? His death, his resurrection, the fact that he lives in us. The realm of his, res- of, of, uh, his lordship is the fact that we live here on earth in the light of one day we'll meet him in eternity. Can I ask you to think just a moment of your personal response to his lordship? Remember in Philippians 2, it reminds us the day is coming when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Over there in Luke chapter 9, the Bible reminds us of three different men who said they would follow Jesus. One said, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. The Lord Jesus said, the foxes of holes and the birds of the earth nest. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. We don't read of that man anymore. The next one said, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Jesus said, follow me. He said, suffer me first to go home and bury my father. Uh, the, the telling words are the words me first suffer me first you cannot know Jesus Christ as Lord if you say the words me first he's got to be on the throne he's got to be the one who follows we are the ones who follow him the next man said Lord I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest but bid me first Go to say farewell to those that are at home. Again, the words that betrayed his allegiance were, me first. Don't we sometimes live me first sort of lives? Me first. Jesus said, follow me. The apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, when he met the Christ and the light shone around him, he asked the question, who is it? Lord, the voice answered, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Paul said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Who is it, Lord? The Apostle Paul spent the rest of his life trying to discover who he was. That's why we have these epistles. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He spent 
the rest of his life under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Our response to the lordship of Jesus Christ should be as easy as the ABC. A. Affirming your allegiance to him. B. Bowing down to his authority in your life. That he has his way. Not ours. C. Committing ourselves totally to the will of God. And D. Denying ourselves and dethroning our will. That we might follow him. Thank you for listening to this Castlereagh Fellowship podcast. For more podcasts, Bible teaching videos, and to see what's going on at the church, please visit our website, castlereaghfellowship.com. God bless.